0: Today's program was brought to you by 100 Bogart Street, the brand new co-working space in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Learn more at 100bogart.com. You're
1: listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org.
2: Hello and welcome to A Hungry Society. I'm Korsha Wilson and this is a show where we talk about food, food media, and so much more. Uh, today's guest is very special chef. Um, it's Daniel Patterson, chef, food writer, and restaurateur behind some of California's best restaurants. Uh, Daniel started Daniel Patterson Group in 2006 with Qua, a small, quirky, fine dining restaurant that helped to change how people look at Northern California cuisine. Over the last 10 years, he and his team have opened six additional restaurants and bars in the Bay Area, and they started the Cooking Project, a nonprofit organization dedicated to teaching kids and young adults fundamental cooking skills. Danielle also, Daniel also teamed up with Chef Roy Choi to launch Local, a revolutionary, revolutionary fast food company designed to bring good jobs and real food to communities. Uh, today, we'll talk about restaurant quality and the future of the industry. Chef, welcome to a hungry society.
3: Oh, thanks so much. Thanks for having me.
2: So um, I, I don't know if a lot of people know, but you are actually you're doing this really cool um, project with um, Restaurant Opportunity Center, and you wrote this uh, great piece for Food and Wine recently. Um, can you talk a little bit about that that essay that you wrote?
3: Yeah. Um, uh yeah, that's a great question. So um, just to kind of give some background, um, uh, maybe a year and a half ago, a little bit more, mm-hmm. um, uh, Rock, which does a lot of, um, um, a lot of work with um, labor uh, workers' rights mm-hmm. across the country, and they've grown into a pretty powerful um, advocate for equitable work environments. Um, they, they're opening a, a, um, a colors restaurant and training center in Oakland, and they approached me with this idea, like, given that fine dining is historically very white, mm-hmm. they wanted to find someone to work with to develop some sort of systematized way uh, to create a more equitable environment where opportunity is more open, um, which they call the racial equity program. So um, because of... Um, the work that I've done at local, they approached me, and I was like, "Yeah, let's do this." Because I was trying to figure out how how to approach that problem, um, and, and I really needed some kind of partnership of someone who could provide um, not just resources, but um, but but perspective. Mm-hmm. And so we've been working on that. We worked on it for about uh, about six months, and this is a dozen people working uh, close to full time to kind of develop systems. To, um, to, to create uh, equity in how people are paid, how they're hired, how they're trained, how they're advanced. Um, they did a full assessment of our restaurants and talked to everyone, and, and, then, and then we made this transition about a year ago. Right. And, and it's been really, really wonderful. And so what happened was um, all of this stuff around sexual harassment started to come out, and... Um, Obviously, the um, gender discrimination and, and racial discrimination are very closely linked. Um, they're, they're, they're both part of a, a, a systemic problem in our country,
4: mm-hmm.
3: uh, in, our, in our the wider society that becomes distilled within our restaurants. And and so, um, I, I, I basically there was a lot. There no one was saying anything, you know, mm-hmm. among the fine dining chefs like. Was kind of like not listening <laughs> um, and, and so I just wanted to basically just say hey um, you know we can talk honestly and openly about where we're at how we got here and maybe there's some ways that we can actually do something about it here's some stuff we're working on and, 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 and maybe we can and, and the thing that I really wanted to express was that maybe if the desire was there we could all work together and I'm talking about not just restaurant owners, but the, the workers, the, the nonprofit and advocacy groups um, could could all together develop ways of of creating a, a better and more equitable restaurant right. environment. So I thought that was really what that was about.
4: Right.
2: And I love the idea of using um, restaurants as a way to tackle these uh, systemic issues and, you know, like believing that restaurants don't have to be like inherently like unjust. And it's just the way that it is and the way that, you know, restaurants have operated and blah, blah, blah. Um, And I think with local, you've shown that, you know, restaurants can actually be a reflection of a community instead of, you know, a business coming into a community. Um, Can you talk a little bit about local like a little more for listeners who maybe aren't familiar with it?
3: Yeah, so that's a partnership with Roy Choi, who's a, a L.A. chef, um, who you know, basically um, uh, created this modern idea of what a food truck can be, of taking very um, high-level um, disciplined cooking skills and applying it to street food. And so one one thing that I've noticed that is, has been persistent, um, is the, the stories that the media tells are sometimes counterproductive to, um, uh, to working, to, to crossing perceived boundaries, working together. And so they mm-hmm. always say it's a very odd couple, even though our values are completely aligned. Um, but we, we look different, we come from different backgrounds. But the fact is that we both have this, this, this shared idea that we should feed more people. We should see people in communities where they aren't being fed,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and we should open up economic opportunity to to communities where that has been systematically denied. And so the idea of local is really simple. It's it's that. It's let's feed people, let's hire people from the community, and, and let's create opportunity, and, and let's hope that we do it well and, and other people follow behind us. Mm-hmm. And
2: what you said is so true, like when um, the first local was opening up the the conversation was like, you know, food truck chef and fine dining chef come together. Kind of this like odd couple storyline, but you both essentially do the same thing and are are working towards the same goals.
3: Yeah, very much so. I mean, and you know, the the narratives that we have in our country, the stories that we tell each other about who we are and, and, and how the world is run so deep and are so much apart Of of the the systematic oppression in our country, Mm -hmm. broadly speaking, that it's hard for anyone, I think, who grows up here to break away from those to see things in a a different light. And so we definitely found a lot of that. But but in the communities, we also found just um, an incredibly positive response. Mm
4: -hmm. And
3: um, you know, I have people working my fine dining restaurants um, who started at local. Mm-hmm. Uh, Roy has people working for him who started local, so this is not just, you know, the other part of, of fast food restaurants is that they're 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 a, a contributor to the cycle of poverty mm-hmm. within a lot of communities, and and so to create an open ended um, uh, path so that you could start there and then move to somewhere else is a big part of what local is all about.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: I think. That term is so interesting, uh, the open-endedness of it, because I think a lot of um, business owners think about employment at their business, and that's it. And I think the industry moves forward when you you think about, well, what's next, and and who's behind me, and how do we make sure that the people behind you have opportunities as well?
3: Yeah. I mean, very much in the history of our country has, has been the people... Once they get in, they want to close the door behind them, right? right. And right. so, um, which, which benefits the people that have already kind of passed through those, those portals. And that's why the, the gatekeeper issue is so, um, so problematic. And, and so that this is kind of like, okay, well, you know, maybe let's just keep it open and see what happens.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: That's great. Um, so you also um, work with Alta uh, Restaurant Group, correct? Or your restaurant group yes. was acquired by them? And I read that there's a, a new restaurant, Kaya, that you're involved in the opening process of.
3: Yeah, it's open now. We've been open for a week and a half. Um, it's going really well. Wow. So this is um, in, a, in a restaurant space that once housed the original Alta. Mm-hmm. And we are going to move it. We are, in a few months, going to move it to a new hotel down the street. And I can't have two businesses the same, three blocks away from each other. So just trying to figure out what to do with it.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And I was actually having dinner um, mm-hmm. in Kingston Eleven, which is a, a Jamaican Caribbean restaurant in Oakland. And I, I know the owners there through Rock. We're on a board together. And the food just really just kind of knocked me out. Like it was so delicious and and um, really deep complex flavors and I love the place and I thought, well, we could do something together, you know. He's he's he doesn't have a foothold in San Francisco and San Francisco really needs this food, this culture. Um because you know our, our food scene here has a tendency to repeat itself sometimes mm-hmm. and there's obviously, you know, other factors going on in San Francisco. There's there's been a um diminishment in businesses owned by people of color. There's been a lot of um, uh, developments that have kind of led to a more, uh, you know, monochromatic food scene. And so I thought all of these things together, like we could make this really amazing space, but also we could kind of say, well, what do we want San Francisco to be like? And I think it'd be better if we had more diverse options. And so I approached them, and, and, and the owner, uh, Nigel Jones, who's the chef, was very excited about it. And so mm-hmm. it's a, you know, basically a 50-50 partnership. And um, it's, you know, the, the role of our, our restaurant group is to basically support and enact his his vision. Mm.
2: Yeah, it, it looks incredible. And as you said, a week and a half it's been open?
3: Yeah, so we, we didn't do much of a, a turn on time because the space was already you know, really perfect. So Mm -hmm. um, we did some painting and and new artwork and and some menu training, and and then we opened on the 11th. Mm.
4: That's
2: awesome. Um, So you talked about the San Francisco restaurant scene and kind of what you'd want that to look like in the future, like more dynamic and more diverse. Um, As far as the restaurant industry as a whole, uh, what what would you like to see that look like? Like, what, are, what would the restaurant being more equitable look like to you?
3: Uh, that's a great question. So, um, I, I guess, you know, fundamentally there's wage parity.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, both from um, the standpoint of, of front of the house to back of the house. Um, and And then also, if you were to look at the, the gender and, and racial compositions of each of those groups, which is what, you know, Rock was really focused on um, to make sure there's parity within those groups.
4: Mm-hmm. I would
3: say the um, standardization of how restaurants do business to, to remove implicit bias, which is a big problem across, you know, almost every sector of the industry. Um, <clears throat> one thing that Rock is working on this is, is a uh, campaign called One Fair Wage. Mm-hmm. And that, that's a big deal because across the country there's only um, uh, I think eight states that don't have a tip credit.
4: Wow. And the
3: problem with that is that when you're making 213 or 290 or 320 an hour uh, and most of your tips come from wages for servers that those jobs are not mostly in fine dining. They're mostly in, in Denny's and Olive Garden and other places where um, it puts the the Workers who are mostly women and mostly women of color in a position where they have to put up a lot with a lot of um, harassment and abuse from their customers, and then also makes them vulnerable to their managers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really, you know, it's it's not so much a wage issue as it is even more a social justice issue and a in um, an equity issue. And so that's something that I think is really important, even though it makes. Businesses really hard to run that are used to paying you know three dollars an hour for their their front of house labor, right? Um, and I and I think that um, creating uh, more opportunity in in fine dining, but then also creating more ownership stake for for women and people of color. For um, and and also I think re looking at maybe the role the media has in uh, the storytelling that. Mm-hmm has helped participate in creating the, the, the culture that we have, and maybe could they do it differently? And maybe, um, you know, I, I, if you look at maybe, you know, 25 or 30, of the, the biggest markets across the country, and you look at who the restaurant reviewers are, um, they, they're, they're all white and right. 70% male.
4: Right.
3: So what does that do when everything is being seen through one lens? And so, like all all of those things, I think I think of are things that are maybe worth addressing.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Those, yeah, I I'm in here like nodding <laughs> because all of those things, especially like from my perspective as a food writer, I think the food criticism component is so important. Um, what you said earlier about making sure that the door is open, I think the door needs to be open. Different people need to be in the room and at the table when things are being rebuilt um, because it's been mostly just white men building these structures. So we need to take another look at them.
3: Yeah, I, I totally agree.
2: I uh, personally, um, you talked to, so we talked about the future that you see for the industry, but you've done so many different projects and now you have a, a a Caribbean restaurant in, in California. What, what do you want to do next? Like what, what projects do you want to take on as a chef?
3: Um, we have, uh, three more projects lined up and for this year and they're all partnerships. And, um, Two, two of them are kind of like Kaya, that they're um, giving a prominence and voice to, to different cultural perspectives.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and then we're also really working on creating intentional spaces where, um, that are focused on um, inclusion and positivity and kind of energy that I think that a restaurant can, um, can have mm-hmm. that might create change. Um, people coming in and, and just have their consciousness shifted a little bit by, by who is serving them and what the food is and how it feels and, and maybe taking something away from it.
4: Mm-hmm. that changes
3: them in some way. And so those, those are things we're focused on right now. Um, I mean, as, as a chef, as a cook, i um, excited to, to, to work with the, the people that we work with and, and figure out how, how to support them how to, um, and how to learn them. so i'm, I'm I, that learning is a is like a huge a huge part of what I think you know any gets joy from mm-hmm. and so that's something that I'm excited about um, but but yeah, there's no like I am going to be chef at X, <laughs> and you know that's mm-hmm. like not a right now thing, which is weird for someone who's who was chef for so long
2: right right. That's I I feel like it's uh, it's like more conceptual at this point that you're you're looking at the industry as a whole, you know, from like 30,000 feet and thinking about where you can make an impact, which is which is great. Yeah. All right. (laughs) All right. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with more with Chef Daniel Patterson.
0: 100 Bogart Street is finally open and ready for Bushwick. 100 Bogart is a brand-new, state-of-the-art co-working space that provides turnkey workspaces, including open layout desks, meeting spaces, and furnished private offices. Members have access to top-notch amenities such as custom furniture, high-speed internet, spacious kitchenettes with coffee and tea, printers, scanners, and much more. Alongside their professional work environment – 100 Bogart also provides exclusive educational programming for any curious entrepreneur. Heritage Radio Network has made their new office home at 100 Bogart and will host many events there in the future. For more information about their co-working space, visit 100bogart.com and become a member to network, create, and educate.
2: Welcome back to A Hungry Society, and we're talking to Chef Daniel Patterson. So do you have any memories of dining when you were growing up? Were there certain traditions that your family had when dining together?
3: Um, let's see. <laughs> One thing I remember, um, and it's 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 terribly cliche, but my, my grandmother mm-hmm. um, on my mother's side of the family was, was a great cook, and um, I spent a lot of time with her like with my grandparents and then specifically with her in the kitchen and I watched her cook and just the, the kind of generosity of spirit and, and the the way that she worked and, um, and and the way that the food tasted really made a big impression on me, especially when she was cooking for, for the groups of people like the broader family. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't have uh, the, the restaurant experience I had when I was young were pretty limited. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, we, go, we just didn't go out very much. Um, I went out with my grandparents in particular my grandfather to, like, um, you know, when we would visit them. And it would be a real special occasion. And I remember there was something very celebratory about it and something really um, transformative mm-hmm. about those experiences that I always loved. Um, and th- I guess those are the things that really kind of stuck with me the most
2: was were they like fine dining restaurants that you would go to or was it like kind of casual
3: Oh yeah i mean no they were um like like a steakhouse or something that was like certainly had not been opened any time in the last like 30 years <laughs> so they were like fancy from another era mm-hmm. you know
2: were there garadons um, kind of... being wheeled around
3: no <laughs> You know, it was more, it was more like, like early bird specials.
2: Okay. So like baked potato on the side, kind of steakhouse yes, exactly. type place. <laughs> um, and were there any other restaurant experiences that you remember? Like one that maybe like shaped you as a chef a little later?
3: Um, let me think about this. So um, I spent time in France when I was a kid and there, when I was 14, I, I do remember going to, like, a, a Michelin star restaurant where, I, you know, it it, it just kind of opened my mind about a, a kind of, of like, a, a, a level of food that I'd never seen before.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: And, and I remember some of the things I had there to this day, um, which were very, very simple, like turbo with butter sauce. And so it's the kind of thing that, you know, maybe, you know, now it just doesn't seem, like, very um, exciting. But in that moment, like, the quality of the product and the way it was prepared, I, like, I'd never seen anything like it.
4: You know, and I, I
3: grew up on, on the water, you know, eating seafood, and, and, and it was like a revelation. So, you know, that was definitely a moment. But, uh, but I started working in restaurants when I was 14, started washing dishes and kind of worked my way up from there. And, and it, I didn't really – I was very um, uh, – it was very inspired and, and taken by by this idea of personal transformation through work through through, through, through this kind of creative expression mm-hmm. you could kind of make yourself into someone better somehow and 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 so like when I got into restaurants and I got into um, kind of a few a few years in then I started to seek out different experiences and go to different restaurants and and to understand them in different ways but Mm-hmm. Um, it was probably not until I was like nineteen or twenty that I started to go to those kind of places.
2: right. And now, as someone who owns like multiple concepts, how do you how do you approach creating experiences for your
3: diners? That's a great question. I mean, um, you know now we we work very collaboratively um, with, with each other, like the people who run the restaurants and then also, when we partner um, with someone like with Nigel, um, you know, or with Roy or, or you know, anyone. Um, so I think, you know, partly it's um, we look for a place that's pleasurable, you know, that's, mm-hmm. that's warm and inviting that you go in and you feel like right, right away, you know, you're, you're, you're in someone's home know that they, they're going to take care of you. And then, you know, from the from standpoint of food, I think, you know, there's a place like Kwa, right, which um, was always mm-hmm. um, kind of more based on um, challenging expectations or mm-hmm. reforming them or uh, creating something that's new that hasn't existed before, and that was really uh, the, it's, it's kind of its spirit is to, to never stand still and to kind of be continually reinventing but a lot of restaurants aren't like that and mm-hmm. so I spent so long in, in a restaurant that was continually um there's very idiosyncratic and always kind of breaking waves you know mm-hmm. um that in a in a more casual restaurant took a long time to kind of understand how they function and how to meet people where they are in a lot of different ways and so you know really we focus on like uh on happiness and you know, how do you, how do you make people happy and how do you create a space where they come and they have a good time and they feel taken care of?
2: Mm. It's interesting, those two things kind of juxtaposed of, like, a, a very ambitious fine dining restaurant. Um, can, can those spaces be, um, like, warm and inviting or um, fun and joyful? Or are they always kind of just by their nature a little more like uh like strict what do you oh,
3: think oh no i mean i mean i hope both right <laughs> right <laughs> uh so like the thing about Kwa is it was a very um it was kind of a very weird restaurant when it opened cuz it had this california hippie vibe
4: mm-hmm.
3: um it was next to a strip club in a part of town that not associated with fine dining it was a lot of handmade elements even in the decor um we didn't open it for a lot of money and so it, the vibe was always very neighborhood restaurant. Mm-hmm. And, the, the, and actually, I thought it was going to be more conservative when I opened. <laughs> and I just, I, I'm just as a cook, I'm, I'm not that conservative. So that didn't last very long. Um, but it always maintained. So, so when, and I wrote about this a little bit in, in the Quail Cook book, but there was this moment where um, my, my wife's mother was, um, and she passed away, um, and she, she's from uh, Northern California, about um, three hours north in the, in the mountains. And and I remember getting there. She'd been sick for a little while, and and my wife was and my fiance was there with her sister and, and and family. And just going there and 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 feeling this kind of grief that I'd never seen before. And then and I just didn't know what to do. So mm. everyone was hungry, so I just started cooking for people. And to spend three days. In that house, everyone that came through to to pay respects, to to make plans, to to do all the things that happen when someone passes away, um, and I just cooked through the whole thing, and in a kind of um, I was I was in between restaurants at that point, and it really connected me in a really profound way to what it means to cook for someone and to to why we do it, and so I think that one of the things that we've done. Um, successfully closed, that. that's always been a, a core element. That's like one of the things we always go back to over and over is, is that feeling of um, uh, what it means to cook for someone. So I think in that, in that regard, all restaurants kind of have that component. And I mm-hmm. just think in terms of you know, this very narrow measurement of how a place is perceived and why people go there and, and what you're actually serving... There tends to be a lot more variability if right that makes sense
2: Wow that's um that's a what a like profound experience for for a chef um, do you do a lot of cooking with your family now or do you guys go out to eat a lot?
3: Oh yeah I mean definitely I unfortunately work a lot mm-hmm. so um, I don't get to cook at home as much as I'd, I'd like to but we definitely um, cook at home, sit down together as a family. My wife's a really good cook, and we do a lot of stews. <laughs> a lot of stuff that's long cooked that you can put in the oven in the morning and take it out later or cook it overnight,
4: mm-hmm.
3: um, and in and, and a salad and some rice or something like that. So we eat really simply at home, but, um, you know, just use good ingredients, and, um, and, and then also, you know, try and bring the kids into it so they kind of understand a little bit about how to put a dish together and how to chop things and you know all the stuff they're going to need to know someday
4: mm-hmm.
2: yeah that's that's it's a teaching experience it sounds like
3: oh yeah definitely <laughs>
2: um so my last question for you and I ask every guest this um if you could have your last meal in a restaurant uh where would it be and who was invited
3: um I, I've <laughs> I would never have my last meal in a restaurant. <laughs> okay. I would have it. I would have it in someone's house, and it would be friends and family. And I think that you know one of the the challenges about restaurants is that um, there's this place where um, commerce and and um, uh, the the kind of spirituality
4: mm-hmm.
3: collide a little bit, and you know I feel like when. If you're, you kind of get down to what really matters, it's the people, right? right. The restaurants are about people, right? And so we end up talking a lot about trends and and techniques and all of this stuff that, that kind of it's like these little baubles and shiny things that attract people in.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: But what what restaurants really at, at their core is is people. And so if I think about a last meal, which I'm not quite ready for yet, <laughs> but you never know. Um, I I would I would hope that it was just a lot of people that I love and, and, and it was um a a time that we could spend together and, and I, I guess that would be the most important thing.
2: What would you eat? Like what would you want on the menu?
3: <sighs> That's a great question. Um probably um so so I, I think probably it wouldn't be a formal meal at all.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: It would be There'd be food in the kitchen, and people would drift through and 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 eat, and you know, um, talk, and 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 maybe even um, you know, drink something too,
4: mm-hmm. and
3: uh, and maybe you know, if it's the last meal, you know, you want it to last a long time, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> so I would hope it would go into the night, and uh, and and it would be more of like a like a like a you know kind of a banquet that just kept going than then just like a formal sit-down meal and we just eat things that were delicious and simple and um, and and uh, but I can't think of anything in particular
2: <laughs> just delicious food and some wine or would it be cocktails or
3: I mean both why not
2: <laughs> yeah that's true why not have everything <laughs> if it's but the you last know, I mean it
3: could be tacos it could be um you know, uh, something like turkey chicken. It could be um, a, a, a vegetable stew. It could be salads. It could be anything, mm. you know, that's delicious. Um, but I think it would be something that would speak to the people that were there. And it would be more important than the actual things. But, you know, I, 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 it definitely wouldn't be some kind of, like, super fancy, right. um, you know, constricting meal because, like, you know, if that's going to be a celebration, then it should be celebration food. Mm-hmm.
2: Excellent. Well, um, that is all that I, I had to ask you. Thank you so much for being on the show today.
3: Well, thanks so much for having me. It's really a pleasure.
2: And where can uh, listeners find out more information about the projects that you're working on?
3: Um, about the Racial Equity Program? Mm-hmm. Or, so, um, so Rock United, R-O-C United, um, their website has all of the information, and they actually have a toolkit. And um, if you're interested, I think there's um, you can contact them, and they'll they'll help. Um, you know, because the idea is that you get more places to do it. So we, and then obviously anyone can reach out to us, and and you know we would provide any of our documents or help in any way we could.
2: Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Jeff.
3: All right. Well, thanks, and have a great day.
2: <laughs> and thank you for listening to A Hunger Society.
1: Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter.